Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. If you started your own firm with dreams of practicing in a niche you love, you'll know that securing those specialized cases doesn't just happen overnight. Some attorneys are lucky enough to bring clients from their old place, and some get a little help from referral sources. But others have to hustle and take whatever comes their way until they can focus in on the type of cases they're passionate about, just like my guest today. I'd go to cocktail parties. People would ask, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. What kind of law do you do? They'd ask me. I'd say, well, what kind of law do you need? And they'd tell me and I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. Suffice it to say, I was lucky and successful enough in building up a client base so that within about a year of my of my uh, opening shop, I was able to focus on uh, personal injury and, and the rest, as they say, is history. My guest today is Stuart Gus, founder of Stuart J. Gus Injury Accident Lawyers. Stuart has over 25 years of experience as an attorney, 22 of which he spent running his own firm. During this time, Stuart has perfected the art of running his practice, all while pursuing excellence as an attorney, earning him a top spot as one of the top 100 trial lawyers in the country. Join us as we discuss what you need to do to get the best ROI on your marketing efforts, how to upgrade your intake process, and why you shouldn't make success your only motivation. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Dreyer, stay with us. Stewart's firm wasn't an overnight success, nor was it the legal powerhouse with over 100 staff that it is today. I had to ask Stuart about the initial years of his practice and what he did to get started and how the transformation occurred for Stuart J. Gus injury accident lawyers. The way I like to explain it is uh, I worked in a 12 by 12 office in a, uh, an executive suite and I get to work in the morning. I make the coffee and if a fax had to be sent, I sent the fax. A brief need to be written, I wrote it. Needed to be typed, needed to be filed, I was my own messenger. Uh, And then, of course, at the end of the day, I cleaned the coffee pot and and I went home. I actually didn't hire my first employee until about two years after I hung out my own shingle. And I'll tell you, one of the funny things about that is when I hired my first employee, I literally thought to myself, now remember, I've got about 120 staff members. I literally thought to myself, what am I going to have this person do? How can I occupy their time for 40 hours a week. So you're wearing about a hundred hats, if not a thousand hats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm by nature so such a control freak. I didn't want to give any of those hats up. Obviously, I figured out that part. Obviously, you did. So what what was the big turning point in your firm? Like what what changed it? What took it to the next level? So just to clarify, you did not pay me to say this. This comes from my heart and my experience. Advertising, marketing. 
but smart advertising and marketing. Being able to reach the audience that needs you when they need you. I know that you focus obviously on on helping your clients with digital marketing. If I could, let me tell a quick story about how, how I look at the concept of digital marketing. Um, digital marketing is like guerrilla marketing. You spend every penny wisely and you know with forethought, with intention. The differentiator, we still have a lot of, uh, I still have a lot of brothers and sisters at the plaintiff's bar that are advertising with billboards and, and television and old school. And, and look, if you've got that footprint and that name recognition, you know, that there's nothing wrong with doing that. But the way that I looked at advertising and specifically digital advertising is if you do billboards and television, what you're doing is you're taking a helicopter and you're flying it to 10,000 feet above your market area, you're dropping out 100,000 leaflets, right? And you're hoping that 10 or 20 of them will land in windshields that are cracked or bumpers that are broken because they were just in a car accident. But 99% of those leaflets that are dropped will not hit your target audience when you need them. But if you focus on digital marketing, you're able to, to reach essentially a really large number of people who need you, but they only see you when, you need, when they need you. So when you go with digital marketing, whether it's SEO or pay-per-click or Facebook advertising, people aren't going to know who you are until they need a personal injury lawyer. And then if you're doing things right, you're the only face they're going to see. Let me jump in here, Stuart. So basically what you're talking about is you're highly focused and highly sensitive to direct marketing with consumers that have intent. Absolutely. And from my perspective, you know, keep in mind, I'm not trying to brag and and I give 99% of the credit to my teammates and the people I work with and have picked up along the way. But think about the fact that 20 years ago, I was cleaning my coffee pot at the end of the day, sitting alone in my 12 by 12 office and now today, you know, I've got 120 people in, in seven offices in three different states. And I was able to do that. I, I, my marketing budget is pretty big, but it's also really focused on digital. So ultimately, from my perspective, while I might, might not be getting a lot of branding out of it, I get an awful lot of, of traffic and leads. Absolutely. So let's talk about you know, when you started acquiring a lot of clients and, and there was mistakes that, that happened and, or things that you learned from, what were some of those early mistakes that you learned from? So the funny thing is, like I said, there, there are a lot, I, you know, I'm at the plaintiff's bar nationwide with some really intelligent men and women who are excellent advocates for their clients. The one thing that I've learned is almost the universal constant in our business the one thing that we are generally really awful at is handling personnel issues. And that was really true for me. Honestly, going to trial, practicing law, doing the research, filing a brief is actually really easy relative to the much more difficult task of managing people. I'll just disclose my two weaknesses, and I'm still working on them, were number one, a tendency to over- after I learned to delegate and I figured out what, what that first employee would do, I would tend to over-delegate, not circle back and make sure that execution was right on spot. And that's a lesson that I've learned. You, you have to reach, 
you know, I went from not delegating at all to just delegating and trusting that it would be okay. And you have to reach that happy medium. The other big lesson that I learned is, and this is one that I struggle with, for a lawyer, I'm a pretty nice guy. I generally don't like conflict. I don't like arguing with people. Ironic, I know. But when I have to give pointed feedback or or directed correction to my attorneys or my management, I always struggle with that because I never like to hurt people's feelings. And one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've come to as a manager was realizing that giving that feedback is not just about my interaction with that attorney or that manager. It's about my obligation and responsibility to the entity as a whole and to the other 119 employees that are depending on my entity being a success in order to be able to put bread on the table and and a roof over their head. Key factor in any law firm success is their intake process. Bottlenecks here can drastically hinder any efforts to function correctly, let alone grow. But Stewart's firm has no issues in that department. In fact, his firm boasts one of the most efficient intakes of any law firms in the U.S. So what is the secret of optimizing your intake procedure? I can only claim a very, very tiny proportion of my success. 99% of my success is based on the people that I've hired and trained and trusted to execute. The biggest turnaround that I got from my intake department, you know, when I was originally starting to grow and doing intakes, I would have my um, case managers and other and attorneys and other legal staff doing intakes. Intake would come in, they transfer it back to a case manager or an attorney to do the intake. And, and, you know, it worked okay. But after a while, a little light bulb went off in my head. I'm asking people to do intake. I'm asking people who are already busy to take time out of their day to complete an intake to make them even busier. So, From a business perspective and from a management perspective, I came to the realization that the smartest way to handle intake is to have a completely separate intake department trained and supervised by attorneys with plenty of escape valves in terms of looping in attorneys to assist with the process. We we don't necessarily hire legal staff and teach them how to do intake. We hire from a very diverse pool of individuals with different life stories and different life experiences because we want our intake staff to mirror our client base as much as possible. Um, The intake staff is not there to give legal advice or make a decision about a case. They're there to gather information and help the process along But ultimately, if you think about it, hiring a, you know, in my case, a relatively young, diverse staff that that mirrors my potential, uh, you know, client base, it makes my prospective clients infinitely more comfortable talking to someone who's just like them and talking about, you know, their car wreck and their injuries and, and the effect on their life. I mean, that's my one big piece of advice in terms of people who are getting ready to set up their own intake department. There are tons of takeaways there. So, you know, when you have these individuals focusing on one 
priority, one set of skills, you lead to expertise, and then you can have your attorneys focusing on, you know, becoming experts of practicing the law. So now with over 100 employees, you got the intake system working, you got your marketing working, direct marketing, it becomes more of an HR situation where you're having to constantly hire and find the best talent. So what are some lessons in regards to the HR side? From my perspective, managing people is um, truly my biggest challenge as an attorney and as the owner of a, you know, the decent sized enterprise. But really the trick, it all begins with hiring the right people. And what I found is that when you're interviewing, when you're looking at resumes, trust your gut, but not 100%. My biggest mistake when I was, when I was still, you know, highly involved in, in hiring all of my staff, I'd get a good feeling for a person or I'd like them personally and I would be inclined to want to offer them a job. And what I realized is you don't want an office full of friends. You want an office full of highly skilled and talented professionals. And just like with the intake department, you know, I think diversity is very important in the intake department. I feel the exact same way about every other position where we staff at my firm. Different people with different backgrounds, different ideas about life, different philosophies. You know, I think that just like the United States, our strength is our diversity. I feel in a microcosm way, the exact same way about staffing up my firm. So I might not personally be inclined to be friends with every particular employee that I that I hire, but we're hiring the right people for the right position to do the right thing by our clients. And that did not come naturally. That's great. So your firm's, it's, it's growing, it's expanding rapidly. You're opening new offices, you're, you're constantly exploring new opportunities and, and marketing is an extreme focus. So how are you positioning for your firm, your firm for growth now? You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, explore untapped opportunities. And as corny as it sounds, what I look for are untapped opportunities to do good in the world. You know, my operating philosophy has always been don't focus on making money, focus on being a good lawyer, doing good in the world. And, and I think I'm proof of this, that the money, the, the client base, the success will follow. So we are, we are constantly on the lookout for different areas or opportunities where we think just basically people are being treated unfairly or taken advantage of. You know, we look into these areas and, and decide, is this something that we want to get into, whether it's a particular type of automobile tort or, for example, there is unfortunately a, um, uh, just a massive amount of negligence going on at a lot of nursing homes around the country. So that's one of the areas that we're looking at, at, uh, at getting into more, you know, again, and it's not, yeah, it's our business and, and we hope we make a profit doing it. But the idea being, if we come in and we aggressively pursue, for example, nursing home cases, then we can be a part of the solution that makes nursing homes safer and better for everyone else. You know, there's not a lot of careers that can do that, if we're being honest. You, you can have a direct impact on many people's lives. I mean, you know, our goal is to try and make a positive impact, you know, both on the lives of our, our, our clients and their families, but to the extent that we can, um, society as a whole. This is why we are, we're also involved in, in mass torts. 
regarding um, you know bad drugs or bad medical devices. Unfortunately, the regulatory uh, scheme, you know, the FDA has you know essentially been crumbling in size and, and scope for decades. So, uh, to a certain extent, you know, us personal injury lawyers, we're the front line. We're the we're the watchers on the wall, as it were, between um, greedy, profit driven drug makers and device makers and the safety of of the public. I love those philosophies. I love like just your mindset on this and and how you do your job and and grow your company in general. Well, well, Chris, I'm a big believer in, I'm a big believer in karma, right? My whole philosophy about life and about business is to put good out in the world. You know, cast the bread out on the water. Don't expect anything in return for it. Just do as much good as you can every day. And ultimately karma will bring the benefit back to you sometimes. If it does, great. If it doesn't, take joy in the fact that you've been able to do good in the world. That's an excellent way to look at it. And then you get that reciprocity even when you weren't expecting it. Exactly. Getting to this next level, you've had to continuously continuously improve. You've had to look for areas uh, you know, that you can draw from knowledge. Are there any business books or mentors that come to mind that, that have helped you develop? The best book about management and leadership I have ever read in my life is a book called Call Sign Chaos by General Jim Mattis. And it talks about his rise through the ranks and the lessons that he learned oftentimes the hard way about how to manage and lead and and motivate people. He's a very successful general, super smart guy And, you know, when I make decisions, my decisions are very important. They affect the cases of our clients. When he makes decisions, um, his decisions affect the life or death of his soldiers that report to him. So in some ways, he's under, you know, he's under a lot more pressure. Uh, Not that I don't take my cases or my clients seriously. His decisions are, are literally life and death. And he's really learned, I think, he's really mastered the, the ability to get that balance between over-delegation and under-delegation, supervision versus knowing when to, you know, just let your people run. It's, it, I highly recommend the book. I'm going to have to add that one to my list for sure. You know, also at your organization, it's important to have the right tools. So are there any, is there some top software that you can recommend to our audience on, on growing their firms? So, I will not say anything about our current case management software because it's pretty good and it's got us to where we're going. I'll give a shout out. We are in the process of transitioning over to um, GrowPath, which uh, is a product based out of North Carolina. Uh, It's a very successful law firm there, developed this internally. They've decided to roll it out and set it up as a separate business division. It's smart. It's agile, it's powerful, it has, you know, good AI built into it, flexibility. So I can't give a, a full-throated endorsement because I'm not live on it yet. But we've I've spent a lot of time behind the wheel and doing research. So if if you know if you have a law firm with more than about 10 or 20 folks um, and you're frustrated with your current case management software, um, get in touch with folks at GrowPath. Awesome. Yeah, I'll uh, link up GrowPath in the show notes and everyone listening can will have access to them. Yeah. 
your positions change, right? You've removed many, many of those hats and now you have some activities that just bring tremendous value to your organization. So at this stage in your business, what are your high value activities? What are those actions that bring the most impact to your firm now? Yeah, and that's a really great question. And, and I think I've got a pretty good answer for you. I've got a team of lawyers and executives uh, working for me. I've got you know, managers, supervisors, and depending on what level in the organization they are, they're either worried about what they're doing this minute, this hour, or what the game plan is for this month or this quarter, okay? And they're great at executing that. I sort of see myself not just as a, as a leader and a motivator, but in a certain perspective, sort of the, the chief visionary. So I let the rest of my leadership and management worry about operations on a day-to-day, week-to-week, and month-to-month basis. And they're really focused on what we're doing today and, you know, cash flow for next month. Whereas I spend a lot of time looking at where we're going to be in a year or two years or five years. So I trust my top people to look at the road right in front of us and make sure we stay between the lines as we move forward and I am looking as far out on the horizon as I can. That's where I spend most of my time. That's amazing because, you know, many times if you're in the weeds doing the work, you, don't, you can't have your head up. You just don't have the ability to have your head up and look and, and see the big picture of what's going on. Well, having, having, having an executive structure and leaders like Sean and Tiffany and, and Brant Sessine, Jason Ruin and, and Scott Whitehouse, Having such talented and and capable leadership at the firm really allows me to step out of the weeds and focus on, you know, a long-term vision for where where the uh, practice is going. I think one of the key things that a manager has or a leader has to learn is you have to have an open ear for respectful dissent. So I do have a couple of, I call them Eeyores in my upper management staff. And I sort of give them a hard time. You know, if I come up with what I think is a great idea, you know, and then they just rain on my parade. I'm like, oh man, seriously. But at the end of the day, when you, when you create an atmosphere that allows for respectful dissent, just because I'm smart doesn't mean I'm always the smartest guy in the room. And if someone's got a better idea or sees a a hole in a, a, you know, in an idea that I have, I have to let go of my ego and understand that sometimes my ideas are not the best. Uh, and that's how you get those unique perspectives. That's how, you know, it's, it's, you don't want the yes people. You want people that can you drive you new ideas and new innovations and help with that growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think many people would argue with Stuart's role as the visionary of his practice. Even his method of filling his inner circle with Respectful dissenters to keep his big ideas grounded is inspiring. But if you haven't got a crack team of ideas people on hand to help you grow your firm, who can you turn to for advice? Well, thankfully, Stuart has some suggestions for you. You know, my philosophy about life and about business is, um, you know, we're all in this together and, and a rising tide lifts all boats. So whether you're a fellow personal injury lawyer or another practice area or completely different business, I'm always happy to share whatever limited wisdom I have. 
the two nuggets of advice that I always will give when I'm asked that question. Number one, recognize the fact that you are the best investment that you can make. So when you're running your business, every time you make a dollar of profit, put a dime in your pocket and take the other 90 cents and put it back into your business. And that is literally how I went from me cleaning the coffee pot at the end of the day because I was the only person to the size and scope of the firm I've got today. I've trusted in myself and knew that I was my best investment, uh, my firm was. And when I got big enough, I realized that it's, it's not me I'm investing in. It's those 120 people, all of whom I like. That's where I'm investing that 90 cents of every dollar. That's, that's my first bit of advice. My second bit of advice, and this is really, this is specific to the practice of law. Very simple. Get up in the morning, go to work. When you're faced with a decision that you have to make, do the right thing. The next time you're faced with a decision, do the right thing. Lather, rinse, repeat. And as long as you always do the right thing by your clients, by your employees, by your community, you are almost guaranteed to succeed. Absolutely. One of the greatest assets your firm has is you. So don't forget to invest in yourself. There was some fantastic advice there from Stuart, and it's amazing how with the help of some smart marketing and savvy people skills, he was able to evolve his one-man operation into a business empire with multiple offices across three states. Truly inspirational. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. A huge thanks to today's guest, Stuart Gus, for joining us. You can find all of the links from today's conversation in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. What is it that motivates you to grow your law firm and succeed? Drop us a review and share your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.